Daniel chapter 3, I'll begin with verse 1. Hear the word of God. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 60 cubits, or about 90 feet tall and about 90 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The king of Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the the people's nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. 
Then these men were bound, and their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and has delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make it a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruin. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Grass withers, the flower fades, uh, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We pray that it would be among us. There's a a single question at the core uh, of this narrative. It's a question uh, that resonates, uh, I think, in the core of human experience. I think we can say that because it's a question that that has been asked all throughout all of history. Even though it's been answered in lots of different different ways. Um, But this narrative and this event that it records is about that question. Uh, It's about the answer to that question. You see the question in verse 15. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now, it's asked by Nebuchadnezzar very much as a rhetorical question. Uh, When he's saying in verse 15, his point is, there is no God. There is no God who can rescue you. Not of my power. Not when you're in my hands for me to destroy you. Now, as events uh, unfold and answers reach, but it's a very different answer than Nebuchadnezzar thought when he asked that question. It's answered even by Nebuchadnezzar uh, as he begins to speak at the end of the chapter about the Most High God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. uh, For, he says this at the end of verse 29, there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Uh, So as we go through the chapter, I want to encourage you to ask yourself 
that question. We're going to kind of go through it in three parts. Just follow through the, uh, the passage itself. Uh, we'll see uh, the setup, uh, the refusal, and the outcome. The first seven verses are the, are the setup. And then the whole middle section uh, is the refusal. And the last seven verses is, is the outcome. But I want you to ask your, yourself that question. How do, how do you answer it? Who is the God who would save you? Who is the God who could uh, save you? There's all kind of different answers that get mingled into what we think about it. Um, there's the atheistic answer that says, hey, maybe this is your response to it. And you said, there is no God. Um, the, the only power that's there is our power for what we do with our circumstances and what we make of it. And stories like this are great. They're encouraging, but they're all a farce. Um, they're just there to add some kind of hope into the human plight. Um, and if you get encouragement out of it, great. But there's no, no truth. There is no God. There's the agnostic response that says, takes that who and says, yeah, who? Who, who is? Maybe there is a God, maybe there isn't. Well, we can't, we can't know him. We don't know uh, who he is. Maybe he is, but he doesn't exist. And so we're still left essentially just up to what we do in it. Because he has not uh, revealed himself, made himself known to us so we can know whether this is really the right way the events go or, or just an interpretation of it. Uh, there's the searcher who asks the question. Um, and essentially repeats the question, but genuinely wanting the answer, looking for the answer. Who is uh, this God? Who is the God that would save, that would rescue, that would deliver? There's also maybe the, the marveler, right? The, the rhetorical question, but on the other side, uh, that, that's saying, who, who is this God? That looks at this almost like Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the chapter. They're going, who is this God that can rescue you like this? Uh, if you're a Lone Ranger uh, fan, who was that masked man? There's this marveling at it, but this not really knowing. Um, that, that same kind of rhetoric is, is in worship as well. You see this in Moses after the Exodus. In Exodus 15, uh, he says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Because he's just watched God bring a people out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, uh, bring them to himself. He says, Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, performing wonders? And there's just the very simple answer of God's servants here in this passage who reply, our God, our God whom we serve is able to deliver. Well, first we see uh, the setup. Right, that's what I'm calling the first seven verses. Uh, the setup. You can't help but notice uh, the repetition of the phrase. I tried to bring it out when I was reading it. Uh, the image the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I just keep saying the image the king Nebuchadnezzar had, had set up. There's one part where there's only a few words between it, right? They, uh, they gathered for the dedication of the image the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up, right? You're, you're getting this. Okay, what's, what's going on here? Um, Nebuchadnezzar is setting up a statue that is representing uh, his power, uh, his greatness, uh, in chapter 2, this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, there was a statue in it, this great uh, statue. And the head of it was gold, the, uh, the, the, the arms were silver, the body was bronze, the, uh, the legs were, uh, uh, were iron, and the, and the feet were iron and clay. And, and in this interpretation of it, Daniel is given the interpretation from God and says to Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. This empire, this power that's you, that's represented by this head of gold. So Nebuchadnezzar goes... Man, the problem was that that statue got broken apart at the bottom where the clay was. I'm making the whole thing out of gold. And now here's this whole statue of gold that represents me. It's indestructible. And everyone should come and bow down to it. 
what Nebuchadnezzar is doing is setting himself up against God who gave him that dream and that interpretation of it. Because in that dream, that statue was destroyed by this stone cut out from no human hands uh, that bashes it and it breaks all into pieces. And, it's, and that stone then grows into this great mountain and it's God, that stone, it says, is to represent God's eternal kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar is saying, no, no, my kingdom lasts forever. My kingdom is indestructible. And I'm calling people here to where he set himself up against God. Really what he's doing is setting himself up as God. He's the indestructible one. His power is what everyone should come to. And in setting himself up as God, he's setting himself up uh, for failure. As a, if, if you read the way this passage is read, um, there's almost this like, there's a satirical, almost comic edge to it. Um, that, that Nebuchadnezzar essentially becomes a spoof. Like he's a spoof of the, of the true God, right? One of my favorite spoofs is uh, Spaceballs. Spaceballs uh, is a spoof of, of Star Wars, right? A lot of fun. Um, or maybe for maybe you relate to more to the you know, Austin Powers spoof of James Bond. Uh, well, here Nebuchadnezzar is a spoof of the true God, except the issue, the difficulty is he doesn't realize that he is. Right? It's one thing when you're trying to be funny. It's another thing when you don't know that... <clears throat> That you're in it. He ends up being a, uh, the, the joke is on him by the end of it. You see it more in the next chapter. Uh, his great power becomes a laughing stock before the Most High God. Um, here's some of the ways that you see that. He's, he's setting up this, this image, right? Um, comparing him and God. This glorious being to be worshipped is this, uh, this statue of gold that's 90 feet tall and 9 feet uh, wide, right? It's glorious being to be worshipped, but it's. Like, it's nothing more than a hunk of gold, right? I mean, like, I wonder, what do all these people do on the plain of Dura? Here's all his officials and all these people and, like, all the different instruments, the pipe, the trigon, the lyre, like, you know, the whole list of things. Like, it plays, and they all bow down, and, like, and they're worshiping. What, what do you, like, what do you do when you're looking at this piece of gold? You're like, oh, shiny piece of gold. We worship you, piece of gold. We give ourselves to you. We praise your glistening colors, and we will do whatever you ask of us, Right? Um, there's some kind of spoof element missing uh, there. The reason that the God of the Bible forbids idolatry for his people, it's one of the great sins all, all through Scripture, the reason he forbids it is because he can't be adequately represented. That any representation of him is an insult to him. He's the creator, the God who created and made everything that we know that exists. And so if we take one of those things and say, oh, here, this is like God. Um, it, it's diminishing who he is. Why uh, <clears throat> he's he's way beyond it. Even the like really pretty shiny metals, like a whole lot of gold. <laughs> he's still way bigger than that. Uh, so so Nebuchadnezzar's worship this being is is a spoof. Um, <clears throat> worship worship is an incredible thing in scripture. But here you have this you know grandiose attempt at almost a universal uh, service, right? Bringing all these people from from different places, different nations, to speak different languages, uh, coming together in the plain of Dora and worshiping uh, the shiny piece of gold. Right? Revelation speaks uh, of the worship of the true God that will go on through the through the ends of times. It speaks of every tribe and language and people and nation. Throughout history, throughout all of the world, gathered around the throne of God and worshiping him. Philippians says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And Nebuchadnezzar is trying to say, this is me. But here what you have is lots of nations that are there because, because of Babylonian violence that was able to, to capture them. And so they needed to, uh, many of the officials that were there, the reason that they have the position that they have is because Nebuchadnezzar gave them that position. 
So, man, if like the boss man says, hey, if you want to keep your job, you better show up at this big worship event that I'm doing because it's important to me. Like, I'll be there. I'll be there. I don't want to, I don't want to mess with that, right? And you know, I kind of wonder if they're out there going, you know, how long is this dedication supposed to take? Still got a lot of things to get back home to. Am I going to be back home in time for dinner? Um, and I love the way the text brings it out. It, it's right after the text says, if anyone doesn't do it, they'll be thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, everyone, when they heard it, went ahead and did it, right? Uh, they're motivated by the fear of, oh, man, he's going to get onto us if we don't. Uh, and even that fiery furnace, I think, is a spoof. It's a, it's, a, it's a spoof of judgment, of God's judgment, of punishment, of hell. Uh, and it's a spoof because it ends up unable to punish the lawbreakers. It un, it's unable to punish those that don't follow the king's decree, uh, but instead it ends up consuming his own guards. Oops. I made a little bit of a mistake there, right? The whole thing is a setup. And it's a setup that's being used to trap uh, God's servants. Um, And I don't want you to miss that part of what the narrative is helping you uh, realize is that you live in this spoof. Um, It's trying to bring out to you bigger categories than just the event that they're dealing with. It's more than an isolated incident. Um, Just like the statue in the dream was representing different world kingdoms uh, and powers. There's a sense that you live in a spoof. Listen, whatever says to you, look at me, I'm really impressive. It's it's like a big, uh, shiny hunk of gold that's 90 by 90. Uh, Whatever says to you, I'm really impressive. Everyone wants what I have. Uh, You should go along with it too, or else else suffer the consequences. Uh, All those things are a setup. I don't care whether that's American politics or if that's a particular uh, political party or political candidate who's in office or not in office. Um, I don't care if it's America itself. It's it's a setup. Or materialism, right, that you have the the stylish clothes are going to make you look good, make you successful. The nice car, the new iPhone, the new new tablet, the new gadget, the Xbox, the, the whatever, or having enough money to be able to buy whichever thing it is that you want. Maybe sometimes we think that that's That's beauty. Right? Having a certain figure or a particular physique uh, is what's going to let you be powerful or let you have influence. It's going to enable you to get what it is that you want. Um, and you, we, we bow before the gym. We kneel before the, before the porcelain god as we give back our last meal or sacrifice our natural looks to the, uh, to the hand of the surgeon. Um, maybe you know it's not those things. Maybe it's, maybe it's intellectual prowess. Uh, right? Whether the the statue of good grades or the image, the impressive image produced by your witty responses. Um, all of it's a setup. It's 90, 90 by 9. Uh, looks impressive and it threatens. But it's a spoof. Part the pastor is calling you to is to not play along. Who is the God who can, who can rescue from that? Because it's not the spoof that can rescue from it. It's not by bowing down to what Nebuchadnezzar says that Nebuchadnezzar is able to, to deliver them. Uh, don't, don't play along with the setup. It's the first part of the setup. After the setup, uh, secondly, uh, the refusal. You see the refusal in verses 8 uh, to 23. If you're kind of reading along in the story of, of Daniel, you're reading through this narrative, you haven't heard it before. Uh, the first part of the narrative, you're left wondering, like, what's going to happen to God's people? What's going to happen to Daniel and, uh, and, and, and uh, Meshach, uh, 
I can't say other names now. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thinking of the other version. Um, what, what's going to happen to them? Because we know already in Daniel that they've been promoted to be the officials in Babylon. And now we hear that all the officials are being called out to worship this image. And then we're hearing that when the music played, everyone bowed down and worshipped. And we're going, wait, they won't worship idols, but they're one of those people. What's going on? And so finally in verse 8 you hear the accusation. That they will not bend the knee. Uh, right there, you hear their refusal to serve uh, any other god. It's made known by the, these accusers that there's a trial brought before the king and the plot thickens, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, are caught by the setup, uh, but they won't play along. Uh, now, um, you, you've got to look at the characterization. Like, this is the narrative is, is brought out in these kind of things. The characterization in this, ses- in this section, I think, is fascinating. Uh, because these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, come across as the, uh, the respective, respectable and impressive uh, rebels. Surrounded by spoiled, rude, and overconfident imbeciles. Um, Right, they're the, they're the James Dean kind of rebel without a cause, or Paul Newman, Cool Hand Luke, the, the confident nonconformist with resolve, with principle, um, the, the Luke Skywalker uh, refusing to go along uh, with the emperor and to go over to the dark side. Right? Um, and here comes these, uh, these tattletales, essentially, uh, is the way the, the, these Chaldean bad guys are, are presented. They're, they're jealous of the position uh, that these guys have, and so they're like, here's our opportunity. We call them out for not doing what the king said. He's going to throw them out, and maybe we'll be promoted to their position. Um, they're, they're tattletales. They're, they're opportunists. Um, and then Nebuchadnezzar. He's, he's like this fascinating uh, kind of comical combination between a, a, tw- a childish brat and a condescending parent. Like, how you put those together? I don't know. That's what comes to my mind anyway. Um, his spoiled temper chance for him anytime he doesn't get his way. He was in a furious rage. What? Someone didn't do what I said? Ah! You know, it's like, he's throwing this temper chance and throw him in the fire. Um, and then they come and he's like, is it true? Is it true? Because I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to give you one more chance. All Everything's going to play. But if you don't do it, you're going to get it. Right? Um, and then when they respond to him and don't tell him what he wants, he's an even more like he just completely loses it off the wall. His face toward them, expression toward them change, right? And he's like, heat the furnace up. This is going all through it. Um, he, they're surrounded by, I would seen imbeciles, and they come across as these confident, nonconformist uh, rebels. Uh, but, but more impressive than just their, their uh, characterization is their, their firm faith that's exemplified and their refusal, um, because that's what it is. It's a straight refusal to go along with the king's commands. Um, I love it. They recognize that ultimately they're judged by God and not my man. Um, I, I worry about that all the time. I think most of us do. We worry about what other people think of us. Here they are. Their life is threatened. Their position is threatened. Their, their influence is threatened. All these things. And they're not worried about what Nebuchadnezzar can do with them. <laughs> He's like, all right, what do you have? Here's this, the music's going to play, and you better bow down and, and worship it. And they go, Nebuchadnezzar, I love how they don't say, oh, king, live forever. They don't even say, oh, king, Nebuchadnezzar. They say, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. <laughs> it's not disrespectful, but it's, oh, it's so true. It's so undercutting, right? We have no need to answer. You think it's your judge over us. You're not. Um, 
our God, uh, uh, whom we serve, is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us from your hand. Right? Their, their faith, uh, this full confidence in God's uh, power. Our God, whom we serve, can't, they're not relying on themselves, like, we're going to find some way out of it. Like, we're stalling, and eventually we'll find, we won't compromise, we'll still make our way through it. Um, they're not trusting Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, hey, remember us? We went through all the schooling stuff, and we were like the, the top of the class, remember? We've been helping, you've been doing a good job. This isn't really that big of a deal. Let's, let's work things out, right? No. We don't need to answer you. Our God is able to deliver us. Um, even they're trusting that God will show Nebuchadnezzar up. Not only is our God able, he will rescue us from your hand. Uh, and it's not some pompous pride where they're like, we're so important to God. Their concern is for God's glory, God's reputation. And they know that that's what's at stake in a foreign land. That here he's brought them into that kingdom. He's shown that his kingdom is greater than this kingdom of Babylon. And here are his servants in jeopardy. And so it's God's reputation that's on the line for how his people go. And so they says, our God will deliver us from your hand because he will make his glory known. Our purpose is just as being representatives of him, his servants, that, that we belong to him. And even there, their faith isn't just grounded in the circumstances or in what they hope will be the results, right? But even if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not bow down or serve this image that you've set up. It's the farce. It's not real. We're not bowing down and worshiping that hunk of metal that's nothing. There's something more than that. They're not just worried about their own skin. Their faith in God isn't dependent on what God will do for them. It's a submissive, obedient faith. And it makes them the very much out of place, rebel, nonconformist. That's also so admirable. Well, here, that's what they do. And then it, it doesn't seem to work out too well for them, does it? Um, it just it adds fuel to the fire, quite literally. Um, it's overheated seven times, right? They're, they're bound. The strong men in the army, there's no escape. And they're coming to the deadly fire, and they know it's deadly because the other two guys or whoever who are throwing them in are killed by it. And then verse 23, the three men fell into the fiery furnace. Um, I'm not going to pause there a little bit when you're reading, because that's, that's what we're expecting. Boom. And they died, but they died as martyrs who didn't compromise, and here was their faith, and all these things, and this greatness uh, in it. But, but it doesn't, doesn't end there. Right, this, this obedient faith, though, isn't going to seem to work out well uh, for you, who are followers of Christ, who are followers of God. Um, it's going to seem like it's going to cause a lot more problems. Uh, the, the, the promises never made in Scripture like, come, this is the easy life. Follow Jesus and everything will get wonderful. There will be no more concerns. You won't have problems in your life. It's all going to be good from now on. Jesus, Jesus doesn't say that. Um, it's called to a life of following him and in suffering. It's going to get you in trouble. It's going to cause more problems. It's going to make us stink. Right? It, didn't, it didn't seem to work out well for Jesus uh, when he was here. Uh, led to the cross. Um, his stand against the religious leaders, and they're plotting out to kill him. And he ends up uh, on the cross with his own people calling out, crucify him. What does Jesus say to his followers? Take up, a, take up your cross and follow me. He calls his people into that same life. And that's what you see for, uh, for, for these guys here, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's uh, what Jesus calls us as his followers too in John 15. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. 
but because you are not of the world. Because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Um, Following Jesus means you should count the cost and expect that what it means is, in a lot of situations, it's going to go badly for you or look really badly for you. And you're going to have to go through some really hard things. But the refusal is not the end. Uh, The outcome is totally different. Um, So we come to the last uh, seven verses. What we see is the outcome, the ironic uh, outcome from 24 to 30. And there's like this, uh, there's this beautiful uh, poetic justice and a very ironic uh, reversal here. I, I think there's something that we love about what, uh, the irony of like when the, when the liar gets duped, right? Or when the thief who's been stealing everything is the one who, who gets robbed, right? Almost like this Robin Hood uh, thing. The, the king is there, he's taking everyone's money, but Robin Hood's stealing his and giving it back to, to people. Here, uh, it's the denier of God's power, Nebuchadnezzar, who becomes the very one who affirms God's power. The one who said rhetorically, who is, who is the God that can save you from my hand? No one says, your God saved you from my hand. And he's the only one uh, that can do it. Uh, the one who thought everything uh, would go according to his command, recognize that everything actually goes according to God's command. Um, but he was completely astonished at the outcome uh, that was totally unexpected. Because out of the furnace come three men who had been thrown into it when it was way beyond deadly hot. Um, And these three men come out untouched. And Nebuchadnezzar can't believe his eyes, right? There's there's like this kind of comical thing to it. He's like, hey, uh, don't we just throw three men down into the fire? And they're like, true, O king. What you say is right. Don't throw us in there. You are right. Yes. Um, he's like, no, look, what's going on? I see four men there unbound. What, what's happening? And he calls to them, and they come out, and then everyone examines them, right? There's, you know, it doesn't go through the whole list, but it's pretty much like the satraps, the prefects, the governors. The, they're, all, they're, they're there now. These who have been bowing down and worshiping this kind of shiny piece of metal uh, now are seeing God's servants walk out of the fire that was supposed to punish those that didn't do that, and they're going, what's going on here? And, and they say the fire had no power over their bodies. Oh, right. And then, like, right, I, I'm, a, I'm a pyromaniac. I like playing with fire. You know, get the little can of spray paint and like, you know, get a little flamethrower going, all that kind of thing. Uh, I've singed my, my eyebrows, my you know, hands in the hair plenty of times. The hair on their head isn't even singed. Uh, their clothes aren't burnt. I love sitting around a fire with like a good hat, but then later it can smell like smoke and you just kind of keep that hat going. Their clothes don't even smell like fire. Uh, It had absolutely no power to do anything, though they were in the middle of it, a fire that was bright enough, uh, hot enough to kill two of their strongest men just as they were getting close to it. This is the outcome. Um, The punishment of worldly power was unable to affect them. They had to go through it. It was dangerous. It was scary to go through it. Um, Plenty of times in what God brings his people through, they do. Uh, It does. (coughs) hurt, wound, and kill. Uh, he is unable uh, to affect them. In any way that God brings it, he brings his people through it because he is with them uh, in it, which is what we see here. But, but in this outcome, not only were they not destroyed, they're rewarded. Right? 
at, at the very last, uh, the very last uh, verse of the chapter. Then the king of Babylon promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of, of Babylon. Uh, why? One of the things is that they, uh, 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 which verse is back in 28, they set aside the king's command. He's like, these folks intentionally disobeyed me and said they would only follow their own God and God rescued them. So you can't talk bad about their God and they're now more important than all of y'all. Or he's like promote, promoting them uh, in, in his kingdom, in his empire. Um, uh, the Nebuchadnezzar, who's trying to say that all worship should go to him, at the end of the chapter says that the, word of the, that the worship of the Lord, uh, of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is officially now approved in the Babylonian Empire. I mean, I wish I had some way to get across like what that would be like for uh, for Hebrews in their enemy in, in the place of the enemy uh, in Babylon in the Babylonian Empire, and now their religion is officially approved, and not only approved, but no one's allowed to talk bad about their god, or else Nebuchadnezzar's going to tear them from limb and throw their house into ruins, right? <laughs> and don't mess with Nebuchadnezzar. Um, this is, this is what happens. God is being glorified uh, in the world and his servants with them. This is the outcome that God brings out. And that outcome uh, hinges particularly on this mysterious fourth man uh, in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar says an angel. He says there's a fourth uh, who's, who's essentially godlike, who's like one of the sons of the gods. The expression means this godlike man walks among them. Uh, we can at least say that the protective presence of God was with them in some manifesting a form to rescue them, uh, to deliver them, that they were aware of that, that Nebuchadnezzar is even aware of that. Um, some would talk about this as a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus uh, there with them. I think that's great. It's, it's hard to say. It has to be what it is. But you have to say this, that the whole story points forward to the coming of Christ and to his death and to his resurrection. And that the things that are shown uh, in this passage are shown in full relief when Jesus, the God-man, enters history, uh, suffers, becomes obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, where his own people and their authorities and the worldly authorities of the day in the Roman Empire uh, crucify him, condemn and judge him, and he is punished and he hangs until uh, dead on the cross. And the third day, the outcome is that he comes out of the tomb alive, raised to new life, no more to die, in a glorious body that's eternal and forever is with his, uh, with his people for another 40 weeks and ascends up into heaven uh, and reigns over everything now. As the Lord of history, the Daniel chapter 2 was already talking about. That's what all of it is pointing to. Who is the God who can deliver, who can rescue, who can save from my power, Nebuchadnezzar says. And it's in the whole rest of Scripture. Uh, it's Jesus, it's God himself in the flesh who is the God who delivers, who rescues. Not only from some Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon's hand, uh, from his power, some earthly power, but from the power of death itself. He rescues. 
and gives rescue to his people who follow him. That there is an outcome that's a grand reversal of all the rest of experience. It looks like it's leaning up towards uh, uh, persecution and hard things and dangerous outcome and death in the end. But there's this ironic twist and reversal of resurrection and life eternal and permanence and glory and promotion of being with God. It's the story of the gospel throughout Scripture. We're given one picture of it here that fits in with all the rest of it. Jesus promises uh, his followers, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He says to them, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, that we would walk and the faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show. Uh, because we can hear the question, who is the God? And we can say, in Christ, not from ourselves, our God, our God whom we serve, is able to rescue even us.